May 20th through 26th of Morning and Evening Daily Readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christy L. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, May 20th. Marvelous Loving Kindness. Psalm 17, 7 When we give our hearts with our alms, we give well, but we must often plead to a failure in this respect. Not so our Master and our Lord. His favors are always performed with the love of His heart. He does not send to us the cold meat and the broken pieces from the table of His luxury, but He dips our morsel in His own dish, and seasons our provisions with the spices of His fragrant affections. When he puts the golden tokens of his grace into our palms, he accompanies the gift with such a warm pressure of our hand that the manner of his giving is as precious as the boon itself. He will come into our houses upon his errands of kindness, and he will not act as some austere visitors do in the poor man's cottage, but he sits by our side, not despising our poverty, nor blaming our weakness. Beloved, with what smiles does he speak? What golden sentences drop from his gracious lips! What embraces of affection does he bestow upon us! If he had but given us farthings, the way of his giving would have gilded them. But as it is, the costly alms are set in a golden basket by his pleasant carriage. It is impossible to doubt the sincerity of his charity, for there is a bleeding heart stamped upon the face of all his benefactions. He giveth liberally, and upbraideth not not one hint that we are burdensome to him, not one cold look for his poor pensioners, but he rejoices in his mercy and presses us to his bosom while he is pouring out his life for us. There is a fragrance in his spikenard which nothing but his heart could produce. There is a sweetness in his honeycomb which could not be in it unless the very essence of his soul's affection had been mingled with it. Oh, the rare communion which such singular heartiness affecteth! May we continually taste and know the blessedness of it! Evening, May 20th I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. Hosea 11.4 Our Heavenly Father often draws us with the cords of love, but, ah, how backward we are to run towards Him! How slowly do we respond to his gentle impulses! He draws us to exercise a more simple faith in him, but we have not yet attained to Abraham's confidence. We do not leave our worldly cares with God, but like Martha we cumber ourselves with much serving. Our meager faith brings leanness into our souls. We do not open our mouths wide, though God has promised to fill them. Does he not this evening draw us to trust him? Can we not hear him say, Come, my child, and trust me. The veil is rent. Enter into my presence and approach boldly to the throne of my grace. I am worthy of thy fullest confidence. Cast thy cares on me. Shake thyself from the dust of thy cares and put on thy beautiful garments of joy. But alas, though called with tones of love to the blessed exercise of this comforting grace, we will not come. At another time he draws us to closer communion with himself. We have been sitting on the doorstep of God's house, and he bids us advance into the banqueting hall and sup with him, but we decline the honor. There are secret rooms not yet open to us. 
Jesus invites us to enter them, but we hold back. Shame on our cold hearts! We are but poor lovers of our sweet Lord Jesus, not fit to be his servants, much less to be his brides. And yet he hath exalted us, to be bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, married to him by a glorious marriage covenant. Herein is love. But it is love which takes no denial. If we obey not the gentle drawings of his love, he will send affliction to drive us into closer intimacy with himself. Have us nearer, he will. What foolish children we are to refuse those bands of love, and so bring upon our backs what scourge of small cords which Jesus knows how to use. Morning, May 21st. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 1 Peter 2.3 If, then, this is not a matter to be taken for granted concerning every one of the human race, if, then there is a possibility and a probability that some may not have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If, then this is not a general but a special mercy, and it is needful to inquire whether we know the grace of God by inward experience. There is no spiritual favor which may not be a matter for heart-searching. But while this should be a matter of earnest and prayerful inquiry, no one ought to be content whilst there is any such thing as an if about his having tasted that the Lord is gracious. A jealous and holy distrust of self may give rise to the question even in the believer's heart, but the continuance of such a doubt would be an evil indeed. We must not rest without a desperate struggle to clasp the Saviour in the arms of faith and say, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep which that I have committed unto him. Do not rest, O believer, till thou hast a full assurance of thine interest in Jesus. Let nothing satisfy thee till, by the infallible witness of the Holy Spirit bearing witness with thy spirit, thou art certified that thou art a child of God. O trifle not here, let no perhaps and peradventure and if and maybe satisfy thy soul. Build on eternal verities, and verily build upon them. Get the sure mercies of David, and surely get them. Let thine anger be cast into that which is within the veil, and see to it that thy soul be linked to the anchor by a cable that will not break. Advance beyond these dreary ifs, abide no more in the wilderness of doubts and fears, cross the Jordan of distrust, and enter the Canaan of peace, where the Canaanite still lingers, but where the land ceaseth not to flow with milk and honey. Evening, May 21st there is corn in Egypt. Genesis 42.2 Famine pinched all the nations, and it seemed inevitable that Jacob and his family should suffer great want. But the God of Providence, who never forgets the objects of electing love, had stored a granary for his people by giving the Egyptians warning of the scarcity, and leading them to treasure up the grain of the years of plenty. Little did Jacob expect deliverance from Egypt, but there was the corn in store for him, Believer, though all things are apparently against thee, rest assured that God has made a reservation on thy behalf. In the roll of thy griefs there is a saving clause. Somehow he will deliver thee, and somewhere he will provide for thee. The quarter from which thy rescue shall arise may be a very unexpected one, but help will assuredly come in thine extremity, and thou shalt magnify the name of the Lord. If men do not feed thee, ravens shall, and if earth yield not wheat, heaven shall drop with manna. Therefore be of good courage, and rest quietly in the Lord. 
God can make the sun rise in the west if he pleases, and make the source of distress the channel of delight. The corn in Egypt was all in the hands of the beloved Joseph. He opened or closed the granaries at will. And so the riches of providence are all in the absolute power of our Lord Jesus, who will dispense them liberally to his people. Joseph was abundantly ready to succor his own family, and Jesus is unceasing in his faithful care for his brethren. Our business is to go after the help which is provided for us. We must not sit still in despondency, but bestir ourselves. Prayer will bear us soon into the presence of our royal brother. Once before his throne we have only to ask and have. His stores are not exhausted. There is corn still. His heart is not hard. He will give the corn to us. Lord, forgive our unbelief, and this evening constrain us to draw largely from thy fullness and receive grace for grace. Morning, May 22nd. He led them forth by the right way. Psalm 107, verse 7. Changeful experience often leads the anxious believer to inquire, Why is it thus with me? I looked for light, but lo, darkness came, for peace, but behold, trouble. I said in my heart, My mountain standeth firm, I shall never be moved. Lord, thou dost hide thy face, and I am troubled. It was but yesterday that I could read my title clear. Today my evidences are bedimmed, and my hopes are clouded. Yesterday I could climb to Pisgah's top, and view the landscape o'er, and rejoice with confidence in my future inheritance. Today my spirit has no hopes, but many fears, no joys, but much distress. Is this part of God's plan with me? Can this be the way in which God would bring me to heaven? Yes, it is, even so. The eclipse of your faith, the darkness of your mind, the fainting of your hope, all these things are but parts of God's method of making you ripe for the great inheritance upon which you shall soon enter. These trials are for the testing and strengthening of your faith. They are waves that wash you further upon the rock. They are winds which waft your ship the more swiftly towards the desired haven. According to David's words, so it might be said of you, so he bringeth them to their desired haven. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and by good report, by plenty and by poverty, by joy and by distress, by persecution and by peace, by all these things is the life of your soul maintained and by each of these things are you helped on your way. Oh, think not, believer, that your sorrows are out of God's plan. They are necessary parts of it. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom. Learn, then, even to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Oh, let my trembling soul be still, and wait thy wise, thy holy will. I cannot, Lord, thy purpose see. Yet all is well since ruled by thee. Evening, May 22nd. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved. Song of Solomon 1.16 From every point our well-beloved is most fair. Our various experiences are meant by our Heavenly Father to furnish fresh standpoints from which we may view the loveliness of Jesus. How amiable are our trials when they carry us aloft where we may gain clearer views of Jesus than ordinary life could afford us. We have seen him from the top of Amana, from the top of Shanir and Hermon, and he has shone upon us as the sun in his strength. But we have seen him also from the lion's dens, 
from the mountains of the leopards, and he has lost none of his loveliness. From the languishing of a sick-bed, from the borders of the grave, have we turned our eyes to our soul's spouse, and he has never been otherwise than all fair. Many of his saints have looked upon him from the gloom of dungeons, and from the red flames of the stake, yet have they never uttered an ill word of him, but have died extolling his surpassing charms. O oh, noble and pleasant employment to be forever gazing at our sweet Lord Jesus! Is it not unspeakably delightful to view the Saviour in all his offices, and to perceive him matchless in each, to shift the kaleidoscope, as it were, and to find fresh combinations of peerless graces? in the manger, and in eternity, on the cross, and on his throne, in the garden, and in his kingdom, among thieves, or in the midst of cherubim, he is everywhere altogether lovely. Examine carefully every little act of his life, and every trait of his character, and he is as lovely in the minute as in the majestic. Judge him as you will, you cannot censor. Weigh him as you please, and he will not be found wanting. Eternity shall not discover the shadow of a spot in our beloved, but rather, as ages revolve, his hidden glory shall shine forth with yet more inconceivable splendor, and his unutterable loveliness shall more and more ravish all celestial minds. Morning, May 23rd. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Psalm 138, verse 8. Most manifestly the confidence which the psalmist here expressed was a divine confidence. He did not say, I have grace enough to perfect that which concerneth me, my faith is so steady that it will not stagger, my love is so warm that it will never grow cold, my resolution is so firm that nothing can move it. No, his dependence was on the Lord alone. If we indulge in any confidence which is not grounded on the rock of ages, our confidence is worse than a dream. It will fall upon us and cover us with its ruins to our sorrow and confusion all that nature spins time will unravel to the eternal confusion of all who are clothed therein the psalmist was wise he rested upon nothing short of the lord's work it is the lord who has begun the good work within us it is he who has carried it on and if he does not finish it it never will be complete if there be one stitch in the celestial garment of our righteousness which we are to insert ourselves, then we are lost. But this is our confidence. The Lord, who began, will perfect. He has done it all, must do it all, and will do it all. Our confidence must not be in what we have done, nor in what we have resolved to do, but entirely in what the Lord will do. Unbelief insinuates, you will never be able to stand. Look at the evil of your heart. You can never conquer sin. Remember the sinful pleasures and temptations of the world that beset you. You will be certainly allured by them and led astray. Ah, yes, we should indeed perish if left to our own strength. If we had alone to navigate our frail vessels over so rough a sea, we might well give up the voyage in despair. But— Thanks be to God, he will perfect that which concerneth us, and bring us to the desired haven. We can never be too confident when we confide in him alone, and never too much concerned to have such a trust. Evening, May 23rd. Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with money. Isaiah forty-three, twenty-four. 
Worshippers at the temple were wont to bring presents of sweet perfumes to be burned upon the altar of God, but Israel, in the time of her backsliding, became ungenerous, and made but few votive offerings to her Lord. This was an evidence of coldness of heart towards God and His house. Reader, does this never occur with you? Might not the complaint of the text be occasionally, if not frequently, brought against you? Those who are poor in pocket, if rich in faith, will be accepted none the less because their gifts are small. But, poor reader, do you give in fair proportion to the Lord? Or is the widow's might kept back from the sacred treasury? The rich believer should be thankful for the talent entrusted to him, but should not forget his large responsibility, for where much is given, much will be required. But, rich reader, are you mindful of your obligations, and rendering to the Lord according to the benefit received? Jesus gave his blood for us. What shall we give to him? We are his, and all that we have, for he has purchased us unto himself. Can we act as if we were our own? Oh, for more consecration, and to this end, oh, for more love! Blessed Jesus, how good it is of thee to accept our sweet cane bought with money! Nothing is too costly as a tribute to thine unrivalled love, and yet thou dost receive with favor the smallest sincere token of affection. Thou dost receive our poor forget-me-nots and love-tokens as though they were intrinsically precious, though indeed they are, but as the bunch of wild flowers which the child brings to its mother. Never may we grow niggardly towards thee, and from this hour never may we hear thee complain of us again for withholding the gifts of our love. We will give thee the first fruits of our increase, and pay thee tithes of all, and then we will confess, of thine own have we given thee. Morning, May 24th. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer. Psalm 66, 20. In looking back upon the character of our prayers, if we do it honestly, we shall be filled with wonder that God has ever answered them. There may be some who think their prayers worthy of acceptance, as the Pharisee did, but the true Christian, in a more enlightened retrospect, weeps over his prayers, and if he could retrace his steps he would desire to pray more earnestly. Remember, Christian, how cold thy prayers have been, when in thy closet thou shouldst have wrestled as Jacob did, but instead thereof thy petitions have been faint and few, far removed from that humble, believing, persevering faith which cries, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Yet wonderful to say, God has heard these cold prayers of thine, and not only heard but answered them. Reflect also how infrequent have been thy prayers, unless thou hast been in trouble, and then thou hast gone often to the mercy seat. But when deliverance has come, where has been thy constant supplication? Yet notwithstanding thou hast ceased to pray as once thou didst, God has not ceased to bless. When thou hast neglected the mercy seat, God has not deserted it, but the bright light of the Shekinah has always been visible between the wings of the cherubim. Oh, it is marvellous that the Lord should regard those intermittent spasms of importunity which come and go with our necessities. What a God is He thus to hear the prayers of those who come to Him when they have pressing wants, but neglect Him when they have received a mercy, who approach Him when they are forced to come, but who almost forget to address Him when mercies are plentiful and sorrows are few. Let His gracious kindness in hearing such prayers touch our hearts, so that we may henceforth be found praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit.
evening may twenty fourth only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of christ philippians one twenty seven the word conversation does not merely mean our talk and converse with one another but the whole course of our life and behavior in the world the greek word signifies the actions and the privileges of citizenship and thus we are commanded to let our actions as citizens of the new jerusalem be such as becometh the gospel of christ what sort of conversation is this in the first place the gospel is very simple so christians should be simple and plain in their habits there should be about our manner our speech our dress our whole behavior that simplicity which is the very soul of beauty the gospel is preeminently true it is gold without dross and the christian's life will be lustreless and valueless without the jewel of truth the gospel is a very fearless gospel it boldly proclaims the truth whether men like it or not we must be equally faithful and unflinching but the gospel is also very gentle mark this spirit in its founder a bruised reed he will not break some professors are sharper than a thorn hedge such men are not like jesus let us seek to win others by the gentleness of our words and acts the gospel is very loving it is the message of the god of love to a lost and fallen race christ's last command to his disciples was love one another oh for more real hearty union and love to all the saints for more tender compassion towards the souls of the worst and vilest of men we must not forget that the gospel of christ is holy it never excuses sin it pardons it but only through an atonement if our life is to resemble the gospel we must shun not merely the grosser vices but everything that would hinder our perfect conformity to christ for his sake for our own sakes and for the sake of others we must strive day by day to let our conversation be more in accordance with his gospel morning may twenty fifth forsake me not o lord psalm thirty eight twenty one frequently we pray that god would not forsake us in the hour of trial and temptation but we too much forget that we have need to use this prayer at all times there is no moment of our life however holy in which we can do without his constant upholding whether in light or in darkness in communion or in temptation we alike need the prayer forsake me not o lord hold thou me up and i shall be safe a little child while learning to walk always needs the nurse's aid the ship left by the pilot drifts at once from her course we cannot do without continued aid from above let it then be your prayer to-day forsake me not father forsake not thy child lest he fall by the hand of the enemy shepherd forsake not thy lamb lest he wander from the safety of the fold great husbandman forsake not thy plant lest it wither and die forsake me not o lord now and forsake me not at any moment of my life forsake me not in my joys lest they absorb my heart forsake me not in my sorrows lest i murmur against thee forsake me not in the day of my repentance lest i lose the hope of pardon and fall into despair and forsake me not in the day of my strongest faith lest faith degenerate into presumption forsake me not for without thee i am weak but with thee i am strong forsake me not for my path is dangerous and full of snares and i cannot do without thy guidance the hen forsakes not her brood do thou then evermore cover me with thy feathers and permit me under thy wings to find my refuge be not far from me o lord for trouble is near 
for there is none to help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. O ever in our cleansed breast, bid thine eternal spirit rest, and make our secret soul to be a temple pure and worthy thee. Evening, May 25th. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them. Luke 24, 33, and 35. When the two disciples had reached Emmaus, and were refreshing themselves at the evening meal, the mysterious stranger who had so enchanted them upon the road took bread and brake it, made himself known to them, and then vanished out of their sight. They had constrained him to abide with them, because the day was far spent, but now, although it was much later, their love was a lamp to their feet. Yea, wings also, they forgot the darkness, their weariness was all gone, and forthwith they journeyed back the threescore furlongs to tell the gladsome news of a risen Lord, who had appeared to them by the way. They reached the Christians in Jerusalem, and were received by a burst of joyful news before they could tell their own tale. These early Christians were all on fire to speak of Christ's resurrection, and to proclaim what they knew of the Lord. They made common property of their experiences. This evening let their example impress us deeply. We too must bear our witness concerning Jesus. John's account of the sepulchre needed to be supplemented by Peter, and Mary could speak of something further still. Combined, we have a full testimony from which nothing can be spared. We have, each of us, peculiar gifts and special manifestations, but the one object God has in view is the perfecting of the whole body of Christ. We must, therefore, bring our spiritual possessions and lay them at the Apostles' feet, and make distribution unto all of what God has given to us. Keep back no part of the precious truth, but speak what you know, and testify what you have seen. Let not the toil or darkness or possible unbelief of your friends weigh one moment in the scale. Up, and be marching to the place of duty, and there tell what great things God has shown to your soul. Morning, May 26th. Cast thy burdens upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. Care, even though exercised upon legitimate objects, if carried to excess, has in it the nature of sin. The precept to avoid anxious care is earnestly inculcated by our Saviour. Again and again it is reiterated by the Apostles, and it is one which cannot be neglected without involving transgression. For the very essence of anxious care is the imagining that we are wiser than God, and the thrusting ourselves into his place to do for him that which he has undertaken to do for us. We attempt to think of that which we fancy he will forget. We labor to take upon ourselves our weary burden, as if he were unable or unwilling to take it for us. Now this disobedience to his plain precept, this unbelief in his word, this presumption in intruding upon his province, is all sinful. Yet more than this, anxious care often leads to acts of sin. He who cannot calmly leave his affairs in God's hand, but will carry his own burden, is very likely to be tempted to use wrong means to help himself. This sin leads to a forsaking of God as our counselor, and resorting instead to human wisdom. This is going to the broken cistern, instead of to the fountain, a sin which was laid against Israel of old. Anxiety makes us doubt God's loving kindness, and thus our love to him grows cold. 
we feel mistrust and thus grieve the Spirit of God, so that our prayers become hindered, our consistent example marred, and our life one of self-seeking. Thus want of confidence in God leads us to wander far from Him, but if through simple faith in His promise we cast each burden as it comes upon Him, we are careful for nothing, because He undertakes to care for us. It will keep us close to Him, and strengthen us against much temptation. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Evening, May 26th. Continue in the faith. Acts 14.22 Perseverance is the badge of true saints. The Christian life is not a beginning only in the ways of God, but also a continuance in the same as long as life lasts. It is with a Christian, as it was with the great Napoleon, he said, Conquest has made me what I am, and conquest must maintain me. So, under God, dear brother in the Lord, conquest has made you what you are, and conquest must sustain you. Your motto must be, Excelsior. He only is a true conqueror, and shall be crowned at the last, who continueth till war's trumpet is blown no more. Perseverance is, therefore, the target of all our spiritual enemies. The world does not object to your being a Christian for a time. If she can but tempt you to cease your pilgrimage and settle down to buy and sell with her in Vanity Fair, the flesh will seek to ensnare you and to prevent your pressing on to glory. It is weary work being a pilgrim. Come, give up. Am I always to be mortified? Am I never to be indulged? Give me at least a furlough from this constant warfare. Satan will make many a fierce attack on your perseverance. It will be the mark for all his arrows. He will strive to hinder you in service. He will insinuate that you are doing no good, and that you want rest. He will endeavor to make you weary of suffering. He will whisper, Curse God, and die. Or he will attack your steadfastness. What is the good of being so zealous? Be quiet like the rest. Sleep as do others, and let your lamp go out as the other virgins do. Or he will assail your doctrinal sentiments. Why do you hold to these denominational creeds? Sensible men are getting more liberal. They are removing the old landmarks. Fall in with the times. Wear your shield, Christian, therefore, close upon your armor, and cry mightily unto God, that by his Spirit you may endure to the end. End of May 20th through 26th.